All right, good morning, everybody. That was The Truman Show. Did you ever see that movie? It's about Truman who lived a fabricated life inside of a bubble, and he was a part of this, you know, reality TV show, and he had no idea. So he was born into that environment. He was basically, his whole life was manufactured and created for entertainment. But he always felt that something wasn't quite right, and he runs into a wall. Uh, the rest of the clip, the rest of the movie, uh, Ed Harris, he is the creator. He's the director. And as soon as, as, soon as um, our hero runs into the wall, Ed Harris gets on the microphone from heaven, and then he says, Truman, I- I'm your creator. I have been watching you ever since you were born. I've been taking care of you. I was there when you tripped and you fell, and I was there when you fell in love. And here's the interesting thing. This is what, this is, what uh, is going to differentiate what we do as believers and kind of what the illustration is. Because Ed Harris, being the God figure, says, don't go through that door. I don't want you to see what reality is. I have a TV show to produce. And if you walk into reality, you're going to mess up my show. And so he is not the God that we serve. He is a very manipulative, vindictive God, right? This is what we're going we're gonna to get to the heart of this, because sometimes we think that God is manipulative and vindictive, and he's kind of sadistic. Have you ever had that feeling? <laughs> Have you ever had that impulse or that thought that God is sadistic? Well, if you haven't, well, you're, well welcome to Granite Creek. This is the things that we talk about. Um, Today's topic is journeying through the wall. Now, last week we talked about Joseph. Joseph, if you remember, he's a spoiled, rotten, youngest son, and he was daddy's little favorite, and and he rubbed it in his brother's faces. He was a rotten kid. I would have beat him up. I didn't, I just, he was a rotten kid. And And in some cases, okay, maybe he didn't deserve to be, beat up by his brothers, but he deserved some punishment because he just wasn't a good guy. And then if you were here last week, Joseph went through three major milestones in his life. Well, today we're going to call them walls. Joseph went through three major walls, and we'll even call it something else. We'll call it the dark night of the soul or, you know, um, a spiritual crisis of some sort. He went through three of them. First was, of course, getting beat up by his brothers and having everything stripped away from him. Favorite little rich kid. Got, got everything daddy wants. Was part of a, of, a, of a prospering community. And he gets ripped out of that environment. So he loses his family. He loses inheritance. He loses his culture, everything that makes him who he is. He loses his place in society. And he, 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 there's a major wall that he's forced to go through. The second thing is he's forced to become a slave. So a spoiled little rich kid is now a slave and now has to actually do some work. You need to make your kids some slaves. Maybe that would be good for them, huh? Make them do some work around the house. Anyway, um, but he's, you know, he's put in a very difficult environment where he's a slave and even his owners view him as property and the wife wants to sleep with him and he overcomes uh, a huge uh, sexual temptation. 
He d- demonstrates sexual integrity under a lot of stress. Not only is, I mean, he, not only is it just, I mean, he's a young guy. He has those needs, but he's actually obligated to do it because he's property. And so he, he takes the higher road and overcomes, you know, this, uh, he just demonstrates sexual integrity. And then for doing the right thing, his next major wall is imprisonment itself in an ancient prison. And, it, and those are as bad as it gets. But at the end of the story, the spoiled little only child, or not the only child, the, the youngest baby of the family, who had gone through so much, sits at the right hand of Pharaoh, takes Pharaoh's ring, marries the priestess daughter, runs the country. Not only do they see him as a political figure, they see him as deity, as a god. And it's a very, I mean, for somebody as a, as a teenager or a young man who was spoiled, probably thought of himself as being entitled, and, you know, I am a god because my brothers are going to bow down to me, that arrogant little thing. And now he's come full circle. He's gone through three major walls in his life. He has now accepted his brothers and sisters. They've had the big hug fest, the big cry fest, they let the healing begin. And then, you know, the brothers say, you know, dad dies, you know. The brothers think, oh, no, now he's really going to get us. And Joseph, you know, the brothers say, okay, you can't be mean to us because dad said so. And Joseph has this insight, this knowledge, this, this view from above that says, okay, what you intended for evil, God is intended for good. Yes, you hurt me. Yes, you stabbed me in the back. Yes, you took everything away from me. But God has intended that for good. What he is saying is saying, this wasn't your plan. This was God's plan. What? Can you do that with the trials and the tribulations in your life? This is difficult stuff. Hopefully I can flesh it out. But Joseph was saying, this pain, me being stuck 12 years in hell on earth in the Egyptian prison, that was God's plan, because now I'm here. Wow. Who can do that? And not only does he do that, okay, again, he is deified by his country, by Egypt. They think of him as a god. And he had that temptation as a young man, because he was the spoiled kid. He was entitled to everything. So he had this god thing going on. And then he says, am I god? to judge you and pour out vengeance on you? No, I'm not. It might seem like it because I run the biggest country on the planet and I have divine rights, but I'm not God. So do you see what changed Joseph's character? He went through this filter of three major walls in his life. And that that pain, those hard obstacles, Those walls that he went through changed a boy from being spoiled, rotten, ornery, a little jerk, to being a man of character, a man who knows God's heart and God's intentions, and a man that can forgive unconditionally and love conditionally and knows that he doesn't have the right to pour out moral judgments on people. It's a powerful story, right? Now, when we become saved... When we step across that line of faith, there's several things that happen. One, you're introduced to God. You have a, 
you have a revelation of God and of Jesus and of the, the atonement and the sacrifice and the cross. You are set free. And when, once, you've been, once you get introduced to Jesus for the very first time, it's very exciting because you're a new creation. And you just, I mean, these people walk into church and they walk into, into a building or a room and they're just beaming because they know that they were lost and now that they are found. They were once walking in darkness and now they're walking in the light. It's a powerful thing. Then they step into what we call phase two of the Christian faith. Phase two is they, they get a hold of a Bible and they consume that thing. They read every single word, and it's not enough. They want more of the word of God. And so they read that Bible. They're, they're like consumed with Bible study. They want to they get the perfect Bible study to, to help them grow and to help them to mature. They latch on to great mentors. They see people that have been walking in faith, and they want to they learn as much as they possibly can. I'm seeing a lot of waving going on. Teresa, can you crank the air? air? Oh, it's back there on the booth. Sorry, folks, I don't want you to get too warm. It's like, oh. I know my message is good, but it's not that good. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's not that hot. All right, where was I? Okay, so phase two, they, just, they become disciples, right? They want to learn, and this is a good thing. They're just, they just want to soak it up. They're sponges. They can't get enough of God's word and, and of God's teachings. And then the third phase that they walk into or they, they, they begin to develop into is that they, they go into a service mode. It's like, I got to get this stuff out. I have learned and I need to, I need to get it out. And this is, this is what, health, it what is very healthy. So they go from being discipled into serving and they're active. They want to help. They want to do something. They want to give back. They want to share their joy, right? Hopefully you've all been at this level. Hopefully you've been around people at this level. And my hope also is, is that these people don't annoy you. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you come across some excited Christian that just got saved, you know what? If they annoy you, just, just ask for forgiveness. And then what you want to do is you want to draft off of their joy because it's a good thing what they have. And you shouldn't begrudge them or belittle them or look down at them or think, all right, I know what's coming next. Because do you know what's coming next? It's that wall. It's that wall, and they're going to hit it. Sooner or later, these people that cross that line of faith, they're going to hit this wall. And if you haven't hit it yet, guess what? You know what? Chances are you have all hit it. You've all have had this wall that you've run into, this crisis of faith. Um, it's also called the dark night of the soul. We'll talk a little bit about that we get into the message. But we come up against something, and it's so frustrating. Um, and there's more than one. And there's more than one wall that you're going to hit in your life. I know that's bad news. I know I'm supposed to be giving you happy, feel-good messages. But for today, I'm telling you, I'm being really honest with you, you're going to hit one. And um, they, can, they can be formed in a couple of different ways. One, they can be from the enemy of God himself, Right? You know, spiritual warfare, it's the devil. He's out to get you, kill, steal, and destroy. And he's going to, you know, and you've got to fight him, right? Because that's one way that it comes up. Uh, another, so it's just, you know, it's just the devil himself. I mean, this, and you have to get through this wall and persevere and, and this trial, this tribulation, this temptation, and, and it's all spiritual warfare based, okay? 
It's not the focus of the message today. Sorry. Then there's the stuff that you do. Like you just, you, you make mistakes. Like you've committed sin. Like you did something really bad and you're paying the consequences for it, right? So those are those things where you made a mess, you got to clean it up. It, it, you got to get through it. Now the wall that I'm talking about tonight, tonight, today, it <laughs> hasn't gone that long yet, has it? The wall that I'm talking about, this dark night of the soul, the spiritual crisis, it's actually something that comes from outside of yourself. It is something that you didn't do. It's something that is being done to you. And the, the, the point that I want to make, I want to take the devil out of the equation today because as we saw with Joseph and as we're going to read in a few minutes about Abraham, it's God that brings in these walls at times. But he's not a sadistic God. All right. If you want to get your Bibles out, um, I'm really not trying to be cool with my iPad. I left my real Bible at home. And I just, I got to have paper. I had to feel the paper in my hands. I had to see the notes. This is, I hate this thing as far as the Bible goes. Anyway, uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. All right, here we go. You ready? Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. You guys tracking? Okay. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up, saw the donkey, uh, while I was a, saw, uh, saw the, excuse me, said to the servant, stay here with the donkey while I go with the boy over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, interesting, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went to, on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Uh, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it. He bound Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your one and only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering and instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide 
And to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is a really strange story, especially if you're looking at this story from outside of the faith, and especially if you're trying to understand the nature of God. You read this story and you say to yourself, God is really sadistic. Are you kidding me? He wants Abraham to sacrifice his son. See, he's testing Abraham to go through this wall. And this is Abraham's last wall that God has placed in front of him. This is it. And Father Abraham, he is the father of the Jewish people, the people of God. He has gone through some walls of his own. He was stripped out of Ur of the Chaldeans, taken out of his culture, out of prosperity. God called him to go into the promised land where there's famine and they starve. And he has to go to Egypt and risk, you know, his, his wife and these, these bad guys that might get them. He goes through all these different walls and trials. His whole life is a trial. And now he's 100 plus years old. And what God wants him to do is God wants him to sacrifice something that is good that God had given him. And this is all orchestrated by God. What? Now, I got, pastor told me to make a footnote. This will, God will never ask anybody to sacrifice their child again. I don't care how bad your kids are being right now. God is not speaking to you. He is not speaking to you saying you have to sacrifice your kid. He actually knew somebody in church life years back that tried to, tried to do this. God's telling me that you need to kill my son. Okay, if that happens, you're nuts. And it is not the voice of the Lord. Anyway, it won't happen again. And it is actually... I mean, this is why he's called the father of the faith, because he had such strength. Again, an individual that had um, problems with lying, that had other issues, had a bad marriage. I mean, just this is a guy that had baggage, right? But he, was, he had such an incredible faith that he could actually step out into this and be completely confident. I'll get there in a second. But this is also the, the sacrifice of Isaac or the, the attempt of sacrifice of Isaac is actually a foreshadow of what God does for us with his son. He makes Isaac carry the wood and he made his son carry the cross. And it is the father sacrificing his son for the forgiveness of sins. And here's the irony. It was done on the same place that Jesus hung on the cross. Isn't that interesting? So let's just put it into perspective. But the thing I want you to see about Abraham's character when he comes up against this wall, his final wall, where God tests him, and what he does is something that you and I don't do. First of all, I would say, no way. It's not going to happen. God, you're crazy. Leave me alone. It's not going to happen. I wouldn't do it, right? I don't want to he would do it either. But I want you to see, God is at, maybe God's asking you to sacrifice some things that are good in your life. Maybe you do idolize your kid too much. Maybe you're living vicariously through him instead of trusting in God's presence, okay? It's a simple illustration there. But what Abraham does that we don't do is he's quick to act when he hears God's voice. He doesn't argue. 
He doesn't make up excuses. He doesn't lag behind, okay? You know, if God's saying, okay, Josh, you need to sacrifice your only child on a mountain, and I'd be like, okay, God, that mountain over there or that mountain over here, um, let me get my dong. So I'd be moving really slow. I'd be procrastinating. I wouldn't be moving in confidence. Now, God, let me make sure I heard you right. Um, you know, I have that other son that I don't like. Can I, you sure you didn't mean Ishmael instead of Isaac? You sure that we, see, this is what we do. Whenever God gives us a just clear direction and a clear, uh, something objective to do, we rationalize it out. We begin to argue with God. We begin to justify what we want and what we don't want. And one of the things that we have to realize when we come up against the wall that God has placed in front of us, not the devil, not ourselves, not our own mess, but something that God has placed there. It has a specific purpose to completely transform us. This isn't, a, this isn't about salvation. This is about growing deeper in your spiritual life. This is what C.S. Lewis calls going further up and further in. So yeah, you were saved, but there's still some, some other things attached to you. There's still some remnants. It needs to be filtered out as we go and we transgress this wall. And here's the approach that needs to happen. And honestly, we just don't do it. The approach that we need to happen is that you need to objectively look at yourself and look at your wall and look at what you're looking at. How do you view the wall? Is it, uh, again, is it, is it the devil? Is it God? Is it you? And when you're, when you're looking at it, can you honestly say to yourself, my will and not your will to go through this? Are you looking at ways around it? Are you looking at ways under it? Are you looking at ways going over it? Uh, are you bouncing off of it? Excuse me, Scazzaro, Peter Scazzaro, in his book says that 85%, don't know where he gets his figure, but that's why I'm quoting him, 85% of Christians that hit a wall never go through with them. They bounce off. They sit there and they complain. They go backwards. They go back to an old lifestyle. And they never develop fully as God has called them to be. 85%. Again, I don't know where he gets the figure, but I, we've seen it. If you've been in church life, you've seen it. You've seen people get super excited. They become super disciples. They become super servers. They hit a wall, and then they just bounce off, and they just, they just, they don't have the courage, or they don't, they don't have the, they haven't looked inside of themselves to see what their motivations are, and they can't go to the next level, and they're stuck, and they're stuck. Again, uh, the dark night of the soul is another definition of this wall. This, this thought isn't something new. It's been happening for hundreds of years. St. John of the Cross in the 1500s wrote Dark Night of the Soul. And he lists seven things that keep us stuck. And I'm going to tell you, there's more. We're, we've changed, uh, if you will. We've evolved as a society. So we have other things that get us stuck. Uh, some of them are flesh, some of them are lust, and things like that. But John talks about seven things that they're not, I, I hate to even call them sins, but they're hang-ups, they're hang-ups of the, the spirit. They're hang-ups in the soul 
but they're not necessarily sins of the flesh. So let's take a look at some of the things that keep us from going through the wall. The first one, are you getting it? No? All right. First one's pride. Pride is the original sin, and spiritual pride is the worst of all. Spiritual pride is that, uh, that judgmental attitude that says, eh, look at all those losers that hit the wall. They weren't spiritual enough to go to the next step. You know, and then we, we, we judge them. We're prideful in our own understanding of, of other people's spiritual journey. See, Christianity isn't a one-shop thing. It's not you get saved, it's a done deal, read your Bible, try to be a good little boy and a good little girl. You're going to have some bumps along the way, you're going to heaven. That's not it. The journey doesn't stop at salvation. And a lot of people choose to level off there. Nope, I'm saved, I'm good to go, I'm going to heaven. My spiritual life is, this is it. I've hit the apex of my spiritual life. And that is not true. It's not biblical. God has called us to go further up and further in. And so when we begin to judge other people because, oh, I guess they're really not saved because they're acting like this, we actually don't have the right to judge their spiritual journey because their journey is going to be different than your journey. God is going to meet them where they're at, not where you think they ought to be. Does that make sense? This happens all the time. We get people that come into the body of Christ, and uh, <laughs> this is, I love this. Okay, we have people that come into the body of Christ, they come into the family of Christ, they receive Jesus. They say the sinner's prayer, yet they are blatantly living in sin. <gasps> the, the beautiful thing about Granite Creek is we've always have observed people where they are at in their spiritual walk, where God has them, and that they are in trans transition, that they're in progress. And we've seen it over and over again. If we allow that grace, if we're able to see people uh, with the log still in our eye, is it, you, you see what I'm saying? If you can look at people with the log still in your eye, you're not going to be judgmental. You're not going to have spiritual pride. And it's what they need. It's what the world needs. The world needs us to see people in their journey and know that God is meeting them where they are at. All right, next point is greed. Now, this one's an interesting one. This is one that, that got me. That This is the one where I threw the book across the, the, the room. Again, this is St. John of the Cross. Now, again, Okay, you might be thinking of money. You might be thinking of material possessions. But again, these aren't issues of the flesh. These are issues of the spirit. And spiritual greed is actually a little bit different. Spiritual greed is, is the, the hoarding mentality. Okay, you, you can't put it in the flesh. Okay, you know hoarders. They hoard money. Some of the richest people in the world are some of the stingiest people in the world, they can't give it away. They have such a tight fist. And they are, they, money controls them. They're hoarders. The same is true with material objects. People that hoard objects and their whole house is filled up to the ceiling with stuff, they're, they're hoarders. 
And you can do it spiritually too. And I, I think that I've, oh, I hate being transparent. I fell into this trap because I love myself some knowledge. I'm a learner. I'm a lifelong learner. I want to learn. And there is something lost also with the power of the Christian mind. We've lost that in some aspects. I think we're getting it back slowly. But there's the, the issue of the power of the Christian mind that, that's, that's key in the transformation of the mind. They're actually a little bit different, but there's, there's a key to it. But here's the thing. I love to read. I love to consume. I love to hear other speakers. I like to consume information about God. And I hoard it. I hoard, well, I hoard this information. Sometimes I don't share it. Right? But here's the difference. Just because you're hoarding information about God doesn't mean you're spending time in God's presence. And there's a difference. And we can trick ourselves. Oh, I have all this information. I have this knowledge. I have five PhDs in theology. I really know God. And I got to get more. Again, there's nothing wrong with the intellectual pursuit of God. But once the intellectual pursuit of God outweighs the desire to be in God's presence, to sit on God's lap and say, Abba, Father, then, then you're, you're hoarding. If you can't give away what God has given you, you're hoarding. All right, next one. Pride, greed, luxury. Okay, again, you're thinking... Carnal stuff, Rolls Royces and Rolexes and the, you know, the five-car garage. Not spiritually. Whenever we approach God in our spiritual person and we want God's toys, but we don't want God's presence, we're lost. We've fallen into this trap of luxury that's going to keep us at the wall. Whenever we think to ourselves, if I do A, B, and C, if I'm a good girl, and if I memorize this Bible verse, God's going to bless me with toys. Then we've, we've missed the point of the gospel message in and of itself. And he needs to break us, and he'll take us through that wall to get that out of us. Yes, God is out to bless you. He's out to bless you financially. He's out to bless you socially. He's out to bless your family. He absolutely wants to do it. But one of the biggest problems with American Christianity was this whole trend of prosperity gospel movement. And once we got to the point where we were more excited about the things that God was giving us than we were about being in God's presence, we fell into this sin of luxury. Next point wrath or easily irritated. Now, again, we talked about anger. Um, it is really easy to get angry in this culture. I mean, things just rub you the wrong way, and people rub you the wrong way. And one of the major blocks in how we see people and how we judge people, how we, we reflect off of people, is that are we easily annoyed? And if you want to do Christian life, if you want to do church life, uh, people are going to bug you. People are, you get, you get a bunch of bodies in the room. They're going to run up, rub up against each other. There's going to be friction. It's unavoidable. But the thing is, you can't let people irritate you. They will rule your life if you let them irritate you. And especially if you're wrathful on it. Uh, I, I, again, I'm being transparent. So I opened a Christian magazine up this week. Janie knows who I'm talking about. 
We won't say it publicly, but there was this author that I don't like because he's, I think he has a bad attitude. And I lost my temper, huh? I, I called the guy a jerk. And I was easily irritated by, by another Christian. Imagine that. So you can't fall into that trap. I mean, it's going to keep you stuck at a wall. You're going to continue looking back. Spiritual gluttony. Uh, spiritual gluttony is this uh, temptation to jump from one spiritual guru to the next spiritual guru to the next to the next to the next. You're going from one high to the next high to the next high to the next high. They got a better program over here. Uh, on TBN, it sounds better over here. Um, this, this prophet sounds really good. I'm going to go over there. This church has got a great worship session. I'm going over there. And, and you, just, you just get consumed with all this different spiritual stuff. I think it's okay to expose yourself to different things. Absolutely. I'm not saying that you just you stick to Granite Creek and you're just all here and all that stuff. And I mean, I'm not saying that. But I, what I'm saying is when, you wanna, when you're driven to go from one spiritual high to the next spiritual high to the next spiritual high, and when God is saying, I need you at the wall, son, because we need to get through this thing together. And you don't want to look at it. You're too busy going to Christian concerts. Does this make sense? You go to the Christian concert. I love Christian concerts. You know that about me. You go to the Christian concerts to get that contact high, to get that buzz, to feel better about yourself. But there's no transformation in that. The transformation comes when you see yourself, when you're honest with your will and God's will, and you want to get through it. You want to do the hard work instead of looking back. Next point, uh, spiritual envy. Ah, okay. This is, it's kind of similar to greed and pride and gluttony. They're all, they're all intertwined. But whenever you see somebody, maybe they, you know, they, again, we'll go back to the people that just accepted the Lord. They're, they're super excited. They've met Jesus, and he's real for the very first time. They're, they're, they're consuming information and knowledge like crazy. They become super disciples. And they're serving, and they're serving better than you are. They're doing more than you are doing. And they're very good at it. And then you begin to become jealous and envious of that individual. It keeps you from moving forward. Uh, you know, that's a lack of honor. Again, when you see somebody excited about the Lord, you got to rejoice in that. You got to just like, yeah, I remember what that's like. How do I get back to there? I'm going to tell you how you get back to that point. It's not by going back. It's by getting through that wall. And you can actually get that excitement, that joy, that uh, ecstasy back. All right, and then the last one, sloth. What? I know, I know. This is just... You're thinking to yourself, man, I should have went to the other church today. <laughs> sloth, yeah. Okay, so sloth is that issue of just being spiritually lazy. And we, again, we mask it. We make excuses. You're thinking to yourself, okay, God, I don't want to go to that mountain over. I don't want to do what you told me to do. Are you sure it's not this mountain? Are you sure it's not the mountain that's closer? I don't want to go through that wall. Can I go under it? Can I go over it? Can I get around this thing? I don't want to do the hard work. I want to take the easy way out. I want to put it in the microwave and get it done. And we, 
yeah, we just do this with our spiritual lives. We want the quick and easy. We want it done now, and, and we'll be spiritually lazy instead of really digging in and doing the hard work of getting through something very difficult that God wants us to get through. All right. How am I doing? Oh, I, oh. All right. I'm sorry. I thought I had it all planned out. Okay, here's the thing. The wall, when you're at the wall, your church family can be there. Brothers and sisters can be there. You can get good counsel. But here's the unfortunate truth, and I speak from experience. You have to go it alone. It's a lone thing. And, I mean, if you were the super disciple and you think you know everything about God, guess what? You don't. See, when Abraham made the covenant with God, uh, there was, you know, of course, bloody sacrifices everywhere. And there was this supernatural pot or flaming thing that went in between it. And the, 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 the covenant with Abraham was sealed and he fell into a deep darkness. And God spoke to him in the darkness. Same thing happens with Moses. Moses is called into the presence of God and Moses steps into what they call a thick darkness. And don't you just love it when the Bible mixes metaphors? I thought we were supposed to step into the light, Josh, and now you're telling me that we need to step into the darkness? When it comes to going through these walls and getting this stuff filtered out of us, yes, it's not darkness, it's not evil, it's mystery. And we have to have the courage to step into the unknown, what's on the other side, what we can't see, and it's darkness. And, it, and, and it's a scary place. And, it, and it's a place of being alone. Now again, this is a difficult part to talk about in a Christian family, is that yes, you will be alone at times in your spiritual life. Why? It's because God wants you to have a spirituality that is yours, not mine, not your sister's, not Uncle Ted's. He doesn't want you drafting off of other people's spirituality. He wants it to be yours. He wants you to be spiritually mature. He wants you to go through that wall. If I can, uh, I've asked um, Pastor Steve to close us out again. And if anybody has gone through some walls, it's Steve. He went through the ultimate wall. He died. Steve, come on up. Close us out. All right. The, uh, you know, Josh is talking about the uh, dark night of the soul. I've actually read that book like uh, three times, and uh, I find it kind of encouraging. That, um, that sounds kind of macabre, doesn't it? Uh, uh, you know, I, after I got off the chair with the lamp cord around my neck, uh, I... I jokingly said to Josh the other day, I'm, I'm glad I bought a cheap lamp cord because it broke when I jumped off the chair. Um, <laughs> that's a little jug. It's hyperbole, as he talked about earlier. It's an exaggeration. But, um, but I, I actually, the, the end of the whole book is that um, there's a breakthrough when you read the book. It's only 99 cents, by the way, on Kindle. If you, it's free. Oh, is it free? Okay. Well, 99 cents if you get the pictures. But uh, <laughs> the, 
of the dark night, the, sun, the, the darkness and the cloud of darkness, you know, but, um, but it's actually, uh, seriously, it's worth reading. It's uh, not that long, et cetera. And what it comes up with in the end is that uh, God gives us the, I think the, I would call it the gift of humility. Uh, but we've got to get past a few barriers to get to that point. And, uh, and by the way, don't ask God uh, to make you humble. That's a gigantic mistake. I'll tell you right now. That's just uh, Steve's counsel here to you. Just uh, you might ask for the gift of humility. Uh, once you've gotten past all these barriers, uh, the gift of humility uh, is different than God make me humble. Don't do not pray that. And if you do, um, we'll we'll just have to. I don't know what we'll do. We'll, withhold food for a day or two, but, um, but, but I, I, you know, slight thing that happened to me, I, I've had uh, anger actually come upon me as a result of hitting the wall a few times. Uh, if you notice real closely, I have a, you know, flat forehead, more flat than most people's, and I've hit the wall so, so, you know, strongly, and, uh, you know, slight, you know, 10-second illustration, when I was in a coma with my uh, near-death experience, uh, they said uh, at least once that I wasn't going to make it past that day. And if people wanted to come in and, and say their last words to me, they could. And I had people coming into the room one at a time and kind of letting me have it. I didn't realize they were that mad at me. And saying, Steve, you thought I loved you, but here's the truth. Bum, bum, bum. And, uh, and, you know, with comas, um, actually, doctors don't know much about them, so they'll tell you things like, well, they can't hear you. They, you know, they're just... Uh, in La La Land, you know, the truth is they can hear you. And uh, at least in some comas, I could hear everything. And, uh, you know, they, they were playing a, what was the name of that guy, this, this Christmas CD? The, the, the Michael Bolton Christmas album or something. Harry Connick Jr. Christmas album. They, they kept putting it on re replay. Seriously, it played like 137 times. I was in a coma, I could hear everything. And, and the first thing I said, one of the first things I said, with a rough voice is tear that, break that in 15 places, that CD. And, uh, but, but I could, I could hear everything. And uh, one of the first things that I, I uh, heard was uh, people coming in and dumping on me. And, and so guess what? Uh, there was a, a deep level of anger that rose up in me. And I, I think that that happens when we hit the wall. And uh, Josh touched on that, but here's my suggestion. And I think, there's a residual level of anger in all of us. And, uh, and, and I, I want to just pray at the end here uh, that your backpack of, of anger that you carry around, some of you are saying, I don't have any anger. Well, that's just uh, you know, a level of not being in touch with reality because there's that, that image of the, of the, uh, the iceberg, 10% up here, 90% down here, some of that's psychological, emotional. We don't really have, we're not in touch with the, the, the dark night of the soul down here, the, the reality that we are not um, in touch with, really. And, and you may not be in touch with it, but it is, it is there, absolutely, in all of our lives. Some of you are more in touch than others. But, but let's just pray that God lifts that up for us. How's that sound today? And, uh, and I, I think that, you know, here I've discovered, I was talking to um, one of my dear lady friends. I just met her coming in here uh, today, and we, we talked about the, uh, the need for God to show up. We cannot do it ourselves. Only God can lift things off of us. John 15, we are the vine. He is the, he is the vine. We are the branches. Unless his life enters us, we, we cannot pull it off ourselves. Does that make sense? You know, we can't just, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and to relieve us from that 
burden uh, of, of anger that we all you know, st struggle with, I think. So would you pray with me? And would you just put your hands out in front of you like this? And uh, let's close our eyes. And, and uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now and uh, by your life, by your presence, to lift from us that which we cannot um, do on our own. And, and we say, Lord, now come and uh, let your life flow into us. Lord, let your presence flow into us. And in that, Lord, lift from us the, uh, the barrier of, uh, I think specifically of anger, that is a gigantic barrier that has, uh, I believe, has affected all of us in this room, probably this week even. And if we've carried it into this room, Lord, we, we, we unpack it. We lay it at your feet. We say, Lord, don't just unpack it today, but empower us, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, to leave it there, to walk free by the power of your spirit. You, you call us to walk in the spirit, Lord God. And so we say, Lord, by your empowering, we leave that aside. We leave that aside now. And, and fill us, Holy Spirit, that we might walk differently this week by the, the power that you install in us. Lord, you are the vine, we are the branches. Let your life-giving uh, life flow through us that, uh, Lord, that we might be different, that we might uh, reflect the, the very presence, the very life of, of Jesus himself as we walk into this coming week. We trust you, we love you, we put our lives in your hand, and we say, Lord, agree together, and we say amen. Amen. Hey, love you guys. Hey, one last thing. Let's, let's give to the Lord. Let's give, like, gigantic amounts of money here today. Can we do that? And... Uh, and let's give, realizing this, kind of a cool thing here at Granite Creek is that, uh, as I said last week, we are not just a church that holds on to things, we are a church that gives away things. Isn't that right? You know, we're kind of like a leaky church. We leak all over the area here. Is this a valley? I'm, I'm not sure of the geography yet. You know, all over the valley. And, uh, and uh, there was a comedy guy, some of you are not old enough to remember this, but there was this uh, comedy guy, uh, he says, all over my body. Who was that guy that said that? It was, okay. I wasn't even alive at that point, but I've heard it told that he <laughs> said that. So as we, as we uh, my mom told me that. She is old enough to remember that. But as we, as we give all of our body, let's just give back to the Lord with that, that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of a, a dedication and part of our worship. And, and let's see what the Lord will do. So, Lord, we give back to you now. And we say, Lord, use this and change people's lives and extend your kingdoms and give back to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.